0: Well, good morning, everyone. My name is David McMinn, and I'm one of the pastors here, and Aaron and I will be filling in the next few weeks. And we got together after some really hard brainstorming, <laughs> aka one text message, and uh, came up with this uh, sermon series. We're going to be talking about these three things remain, part of that great passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that uh, talks about some of our essentials in our faith, which is faith, hope. And, love. and today I'm talking about faith, which is a conviction that you understand what God has done in your life, that you understand that God will continue to work in your life, and that a trust in what God is going to do in the future, both in your life and in the world. I have always been enamored with some of the great heroes of the faith, some people who really put their life on their line for believing that they followed Jesus. Now, for us, that's not really the case, although there can be some challenges with following Christ. People may look down on you. People may not appreciate that. However, we don't put our life on the line. But especially early in the church, there are many who did put, on their, their, put their life on the line. Some early Christian martyrs, of course, all the disciples except for one were martyred. And then throughout those early years, people like Justin and Polycarp and per- Perpetua and Felicia, these early leaders in the church who gave everything Ended up giving their life for Christ. And then throughout the history of the church, we've seen other people, some of the great reformers who gave their life. And of course, in the 20th century, this week, we celebrate the life of Martin Luther King Jr. It's his birthday this week. And so we get a, a day off, but I don't want us to just enjoy an extra day off from work or school. I want us to really appreciate the work of Martin Luther King Jr. and what he did in our country. And I think he exemplifies that concept about faith, that it is trusting in God, the work that we do now, but also the work that we look forward to. Because much of the work that was done by Martin Luther King and the civil rights movement has changed our country for the better. But it's work that still needs to continue because it is a natural part of us to not trust people who are different, whether that's different skin or different belief or different creed, whatever it is, we tend to not trust and even hate people who are different than us. And so we need to take the lessons of these great leaders like Martin Luther King Jr., and we need to live them out day in and day out and continue that work until it is finished. But I always wonder, what made these people unique, these great heroes of the faith that came before us? What made it part of their life that they were willing to give what was most precious to them, their own life. And I believe it is their faith in Jesus and in the world that Jesus was working to build and continues to work to build in and through us. I'm going to read a little bit of Martin Luther King Jr.'s I Have a Dream speech because I think it exemplifies a lot of what we're talking about when it comes to faith. And I encourage you, maybe as a tradition, to take that speech and read it this week And let it inspire you and challenge you. But here's part of it. No, no, we are not satisfied and we will not be satisfied until justice rolls down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. I am not unmindful that some of you have come here out of great trials and tribulations. Some of you have come fresh from narrow jail cells. Some of you have come from areas where your quest for freedom left you battered by the storms of persecution and staggered by the winds of police brutality. You have been the veterans of creative suffering. Continue to work with the faith that unearned suffering is redemptive. I'm going to repeat that. Continue to work with the faith that unearned suffering is redemptive. So that even though we face the difficulties of today and tomorrow, I still have a dream. It is a dream deeply rooted in the American dream. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. I have a dream that one day on the red hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will be able to sit down together in the table of brotherhood. And I have a dream that one day every valley shall be exalted. Every hill and mountain shall be made low, and the rough places will be made plain, and the crooked places will be made straight. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and the flesh shall see it Together. And I don't even apologize for you emotional because you should should get a little emotional with great words like these. MLK refers to the American dream, although his dream was rooted in something greater and something more powerful. The foundation of his belief is in the world and vision inaugurated, and that will eventually come true through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That is what faith is: this, this space, this conviction in what God has done in your life, what God is continuing to do in your life, what God will do in your life, and that through all of us, what God is going to do in this world together with the knowledge that it's going to take Jesus to make it all come true. It's easy to be dejected by all the things that are going on in this world, sickness and war, division, and then we think about in our personal life that people have lost jobs. Some of our health isn't where we want it to be. Grief, heartache, relationships that are broken. It's easy. There's almost like a collective sense of overwhelming depression for our society right now. And It's easy to let that infect our lives. But the author of Hebrews, with the passage we're going to read here in a moment, tells us to have faith. Pointing out a long line of people who were faithful even when they didn't always experience that promise of the glorious future of God in their lifetime. And we need, too, to have hope and conviction in what God is doing here and now, even when it doesn't look the greatest or feel the greatest. And we, too, will be celebrated with the great cloud of witnesses that have gone before as our work continues to help build what God is doing in our world, if, if we continue to have faith. So our scripture comes from Hebrews chapter 11, starting with, you know, I looked it up in my Bible, but I forgot to put my bookmark there. Apologize. Starting with verse 1. And this is one of those verses that I think is repeated over and over again. Faith is the reality of what we hope for and the proof of what we don't see. Another version says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So, this tells us at the very basic of what faith is all about. It's that realization that God is active in your life, but it is also the hope and conviction that God is always going to do more. There are more promises to come, there are more blessings to come, there's more inspiration to come, that God is not through with you yet. And then it continues. The elders in the past were approved because they showed faith. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by a word from God, so the visible came into existence from the invisible. By faith, Abel offered a better sacrifice to God than Cain, which showed that he was righteous, since God gave approval to him for his gift. Though he died, he is still speaking through faith. By faith, Enoch was, given up, was taken up so that he didn't see death, and he wasn't found because God took him up. He was given approval for having pleased God before having taken up. It is impossible to please God without faith, because the one who draws near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards people who try to find him. By faith, Noah responded with godly fear when he was warned about events he had not yet seen. He, built, he built an ark to deliver his household. With his faith he, faith, he criticized the world and became an heir of righteousness that comes through faith. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out to a place that he was going to receive as an inheritance... He went out without knowing where he was going. By faith, he lived in a land that had been promised as a stranger. He lived in tents along with Isaac and Jacob, who were the co-heirs of the same promise. He was looking forward to a city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, even Sarah received the ability to have a child, though she herself was barren in the past the age for having children because she believed that the one who promised her was faithful. So descendants were born from one man, and he was good as dead. There were as many as the number under the stars and as countless as the grains of sand in the seashore. All of these people died in faith without receiving the promises, but they saw the promises from a distance and were welcomed there. They confessed that they were strangers and immigrants on earth. People who say this kind of thing make it clear they are looking for a homeland. If they had been thinking about the country that they left, they would have had the opportunity to return to it but at this point they're longing for a better country that is a heavenly one therefore god is in ashamed to be called their god and has prepared a city for them and when we talk about this heavenly homeland we're not just talking about dying and going to heaven we're talking about what god is doing here and now is an, we are an outpost of heaven on earth living as if living as if that future reality was a reality because in our lives it is a reality is what we hope for. This is part of the conviction and faith that we have, part of what we believe in. The book of Hebrews has two main goals. The first goal is for us to understand that Jesus is greater, greater than any other person other than God and the Holy Spirit, greater than angels, greater than Moses, the great, Hebrew of the, the great hero of the Hebrew faith, greater than any priest, greater than any sacrifice. And so when Jesus gave his life for us, it was all sufficient, No other sacrifice needs to be made. All sacrifices are done because in Jesus we had the ultimate sacrifice because the greatest being that had ever lived gave his life so that we might have life. The second thing that Hebrews is about is a challenge to the church that we are to remain faithful. Now, their challenge was they were persecuted not always directly persecuted, having to give their life up for what they believe, but in general, both from the Jewish people and from the Roman Empire, Christians were persecuted. And so he's saying, keep the faith because I promise you a better day is coming. And he even gives examples of different great leaders in their faith who didn't always experience in their lifetime that promise, but knowing that that will be fulfilled in another lifetime, if not this one. And so we work towards it even when we don't always get to experience it. It's how Christians can have joy and hope even in suffering. What Martin Luther King calls unearned redemptive suffering. The beauty of what he did is he took on the violence of America, the violence of an unjust system, and reacted peacefully and with love and changed the system, although we still have work to do. And we do the same thing when we face persecution. But our, our challenge is different. Our challenge is different because we don't really face persecution, or we might face some light persecution, but we face being swept up in a culture that is not necessarily Christian. Now, I don't, I don't want to be one of those people that like all non-Jesus things are bad, only Jesus is good. That's not exactly what I'm saying. However, however we know as followers of Christ that we are called to a higher standard, that we are called to live differently. Not because it gives us salvation, but because we are trying to work into the world that God is establishing. But too often, Christianity looks like the culture around it. Instead of changing the culture, instead of being countercultural, we often just reflect the culture that which we live in. And America is no different. In America, the individual is celebrated and praised above all things. And often, in the American church, the individual is celebrated in praise. But in Christianity. It's all about our life together, our community, the Christianity as family, and that all are part of the family, no matter what they look like or where they are from. In America, success, monetary success, is primary. And many people that we are around, and even ourselves, will do anything to achieve that success. In Christianity, it's about loving God. And loving neighbor. And we realize that building up one another together makes all of us better. That it's not just about one success over another person. And it's not that success is a bad thing, but that we can grow together. In America, if someone wrongs you, you just get canceled these days, right? And if you don't know what that means, it's basically you do something wrong, and then you're just kicked out of society, I guess. But in Christianity, we believe in Forgiveness. And if both parties want to come together, we believe in reconciliation it's possible for enemies to come and love one another, and there is a hope for the future. There's nothing wrong with the individual. Humans are to be loved and celebrated. But when it becomes an idol and it becomes more important than anything else, that's when it becomes a problem. There's nothing wrong with success. There's nothing wrong with money. There's nothing wrong with wealth, But it is, because it is a gift from God to be used for the purposes of the kingdom of God, to be generous and loving. But when it becomes an idol and it becomes more important to our faith, then it becomes a problem. And there's nothing wrong with sometimes there are things in our society we need to stand up against, and we say that is wrong. But when we do it in a way that is without forgiveness or reconciliation, it breaks our society. So in this culture, when we are called to stand firm, it's to stand firm against these parts of our culture where we need to be countercultural We need to stand in faith and say, that's not how we are going to live. That is not how we are going to act. And so when we are called by this passage to stand firm and look forward to a future that can be different, that is what it is calling us to do. This is the space in which we work. The call for us is lean into the great cloud of witnesses that have gone before that are mentioned in this passage, Abel and Enoch and Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses and Rahab, and learn for them. Many of them died without receiving their promise in this life, but trusted they would see it in the next life. Because Jesus' gospel is the once and future gospel. It is something that we live into now, but is a future hope that we get to. We have faith in the eternal life, and that allows us, I think, to live boldly and without fear because we know that this isn't the end of our life, but that isn't the goal. That's the reward. That's the cherry on top of the Sunday. We need to live into the life that God is calling us to do, a life with purpose and hope and conviction, even though when we know that sometimes it can be a little bit futile. So there a few things I want you to take home from the Scripture today. The first, it is very clear that we are not alone, that first of all, we come from a great cloud of witnesses, the ones that I've been talking about, the, all of the Old Testament leaders that have poured into this faith, all the great Christian uh, believers and, and leaders that have come before us and continue to pour their witness in through the, the Scriptures and their writings the mothers and fathers who have given their life for this faith. But each of us are also a unique creation of the witnesses that have come before us. None of us are here in this room in a vacuum. I know in my personal life, back when I was in a home for children, somebody took me to church. I don't know who it was. Somebody took me to church and taught me the stories of faith. It was my parents who brought me to church faithfully week after week. encouraged me. It was the Sunday school teachers who, even though I was kind of an annoying kid and a little bit of a know-it-all, still am. (laughs) It was those teachers who loved me and showed me their faith both through their actions and their teachings. It was pastor after pastor who poured into me and loved me and showed me the way. It was in my college ministry where my college pastor was my mom away from home. And it's all the pastors, since I have been uh, in the process of becoming a minister, then becoming commissioned, and then ordained, who took me under their wing and taught me and loved me and made me part of their life. And imagine that you are the same. So that's one of the great cloud of witnesses. But the other wonderful power of the church is that this is the great cloud of witnesses, You are the great cloud of witnesses for each other. You are not alone because you have the person to your right and to your left. And I don't just mean your family members. I mean this church, which is your family. This is your great crowd of witnesses. You don't have to stand with hope and conviction in a very difficult world on your own because we do it together. I have bad days, you have bad days. And that's when we need to lean on one another. And so together we keep the faith with hope conviction. And I also want to tell you that what you do has meaning. It's really easy to be fatalistic. It's really easy to think, ah, this world is not ever going to get better. And it may not. It may not fully embody what God does, but we work as if it can. We work as if it can. We cannot let ourselves be fatalistic because our work matters. It matters to the people we love and the people we help and how we treat one another. Our work matters here and today. But also, Scripture gives us a promise that what we do now will remain into eternity. There's a great passage from 1 Corinthians 15, 58, and it says, this is from Paul, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Your labor in the Lord is not in vain. That means what you do for the faith, for Christ, for the community, that God is going to take it. I don't know how it's going to work, but God is going to take that word, and it's going to be part of the new reality that God creates. So what you do matters. It matters here. It matters now. It matters to the people you help and the people you love, and it matters to God, and it matters in the future. And so we're called to keep the faith even in difficult times. These are difficult times, but they're not unique in the sense that Christians have lived through difficult time, era after era. People, humans have lived through difficult times. And remember that Jesus is greater than anything we could imagine in any of our problem, and that God is with us. I have another great hero of the faith. I'm sorry I'm talking about some of these lofty people, but I think as we think about this concept of those who've gone before us, And this person is Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And I don't know if any of you know his story or know anything about him, but I think he's particularly relevant for us today. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a German pastor. He was trained by Karl Barth, one of the great theologians of the 20th century. He himself was a great theologian of the 20th century, wrote many great books. But he was kind of coming into his own when the Nazis in Germany were coming to power. And at first, he really worked hard to work against what the Nazis were doing until the point got to where he was being threatened, and he decided to leave and come to America for a little bit. And then in America, he had a choice. He had a choice. He could live in America and continue his work and, and great work that it was, or he could go back to Germany, and he could work against Hitler, and he could work against the Nazis. And he felt called. He felt conviction, even though he probably knew what was the end of that line, that it was going to mean his life. And so he goes back to Germany, and he works against Hitler, and he does. He gets arrested, and eventually he gives his life. Because one of his great works was that he was fighting against those who were trying to tie Christianity to this evil Nazi regime that had nothing to do with Christianity. And he believed that was a fight worth giving his life for. Now, our fight isn't the same likely. You're not called like Dietrich Bonhoeffer to do something like that, but you are called to have faith day in and day out, to stand firm in your belief with every person that you meet, every person that you encounter. This is why it matters. We are called to keep the faith, to live lives of hope and conviction. Remember that, what, that you are not alone, that you are surrounded by both a great crowd of witnesses that came before and won the body of the church today. Remember that what you do matters, not just to the people you help, but into eternity. And remind and remember when you do all those things that you are keeping the faith. So keep the faith with hope and conviction. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.